Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. A little bit of quick business to take care of, and then we'll dive into everything else. First of all, it's great to welcome you to a brand new studio here today for our program. Long time in the coming, in the making for us, and uh, so much fun to be a part of it. And so grateful for everyone who's helped us get this rolling, and for all of you who were patient with us last week while we were broadcasting from my home something i don't admittedly love to do because it always brings its own set of challenges with it but we're happy to be here today and just really excited about what the new generation of dog nation daily presented by Pella window and door of georgia is going to look like here in the studio if you're watching now if you're listening radio podcast you're not going to notice much uh different all the way around at least i hope that you don't but as you are watching here today you get a chance to see some of the cool bells and whistles some of the cool things we're able to provide for you and I just think that's going to be a, a a great time and kind of a perfect time to roll all of this out as Georgia gets ready to take on Florida on Saturday. And let me also say this, we kind of get rolling here today. I think it's really interesting how quickly storylines can change and how quickly narratives can change when it comes to a sport like college football. Let me give you a specific instance of what I'm talking about. So let's go back to the last time that Georgia played a football game. It's two Saturdays ago, and it starts to feel like kind of a long time ago, right? But two Saturdays ago, Georgia was the toast of the college football world. It was the site of ESPN's College Game Day, of the SEC Nation pregame program. The CBS 330 telecast had Georgia against Kentucky. And really, every spotlight that could be generated around college football, all of those spotlights were pointed squarely on Athens, Georgia, and squarely on the University of Georgia, number one in the country and getting all the attention in the world. In fact, so much attention rolling in that some Georgia fans were left to wonder, well, is it too much? Is this the, and I hate to even use this phrase because it's become a little bit of a tired cliche, but is it? rat poison is it one of those things that's too much praise to the point now where it's actually a distraction for uga and all anybody seemed to be able to talk about on any of these tv shows was the university of georgia it's all the attention that georgia was getting and a lot of fans were almost flabbergasted by the fact that georgia was at the center of the discussion so much and really sucking all the oxygen out of the rest of the college football conversation alabama had recently lost and other programs had seemingly kind of fallen by the wayside and there was this you know gigantic you know battle station of georgia that was you know literally just kind of orbiting the earth uh in much greater stature than anything else happening around college football but here's the thing though when it comes to the college football media and admittedly i'm a part of this when it comes to college football media the the idea of staying fixated on any one thing for too long is not particularly incentivized right people just get bored quickly and the media's job is to respond to that boredom and give something else to folks that's shiny and new to look at i always think about like a baby when you kind of jingle keys in front of a baby's face it's like you know the baby gets bored that pretty quick now you got to do this new thing to get their attention and the college football media sphere kind of operates the same way a couple of weeks ago all anybody could talk about was georgia and how georgia was the number one team in the country and there was nobody in the country that's even close to uga but you knew that discussion wasn't going to really last especially with georgia not playing this saturday this past saturday you knew that the media would find something else to kind of pay attention to and that's exactly what has happened so you kind of go from a situation two saturdays ago where all anybody could talk about was georgia to a situation after this past saturday because georgia after not playing was kind of out of sight out of mind where all of a sudden there's this new conversation that's emerged. And all of a sudden, Georgia's perch as the unquestioned best team in the country, all of a sudden that doesn't seem quite so assured anymore. 
mean, there was all kinds of hype once again for Caleb Williams. Did you see that? The Oklahoma quarterback on Saturday. Now, yes, uh, Oklahoma struggled with Kansas for a while. It seemed like it might lose to the Jayhawks, but Caleb Williams does the thing at the end where he pulls the ball out of the running back's hand and converts a fourth down, which gives Oklahoma a chance to win the game and kind of furthering what had happened for Williams when he stepped up after uh you know Spencer Rattler got benched during the Texas game and suddenly Caleb Williams is the best player in college football and Caleb Williams is going to put Oklahoma on his back and Caleb Williams is going to lead uh, Oklahoma to the college football playoff and he's the new fun thing to talk about he's the shiny new toy that everybody wants to pay attention to it's not George anymore it's Caleb Williams in Oklahoma and if it's not Caleb Williams in Oklahoma well it's certainly CJ Stroud in Ohio State they dominate Indiana on the road, and they make people forget about the fact that earlier this season, the the Buckeyes lost a game to Oregon. All of a sudden, uh, the Stroud era, which was a little slow and starting at the beginning of the 2021 season, all of a sudden, Stroud at quarterback starting to look pretty good. And this Buckeyes team that has a you know, recent history of using quality quarterback play, scoring a bunch of points, all of a sudden, they're starting to look like that team again. And boy, if you take a spin around the dial on social media or, or TV or wherever else, college football conversations are taking place all of a sudden there's this belief now maybe maybe ohio state's a real threat to georgia maybe georgia better be careful about a playoff matchup with ohio state because we haven't seen georgia play in a couple of weeks we've forgotten how good or not good georgia might be but boy this ohio state team that we just saw boy they're really good we don't have a memory that lasts beyond five minutes all we can remember is the last thing we just saw and the last thing i saw was at least what the national media member might say is the last thing i just saw was Ohio State was looking pretty, pretty good. Well, I don't have to tell you this. That's what Georgia gets a chance to go back and answer for this upcoming Saturday. When it gets ready to take on Florida in Jacksonville, I think some Georgia fans are left to wonder, well, what does the cocktail party really mean this year? I mean, after all, Georgia and Florida the last however many years has been the game that's decided the SEC East. It has been the de facto SEC semifinal game. And in a lot of ways, you could say Georgia-Florida was not just the SEC semifinal, meaning the winner went to the SEC championship game or the SEC final, if you will, that the Georgia-Florida game has almost been a little bit like a national quarterfinal game, right? Because by, by you know, or maybe a, you know, a game that propels you into the SEC championship, which also gives you a chance to then go to the college football playoff and then kind of move on after that. That's how important Georgia-Florida has been the last couple of years. But this year doesn't quite feel that way anymore, right? I mean, Florida's lost three times. Uh, Georgia's sailing as the number one team in the country. Georgia's up more than uh, two touchdowns right now. All of this uh you know seems to be a little bit different kind of tone and a little bit different kind of mood for the cocktail party all the way around so you're left to wonder what is georgia really playing for well i think the answer that's actually pretty clear i think georgia this saturday has a chance to remind folks of why it is number one in the country now for a second consecutive week i think that georgia has has a chance to remind folks why the dogs rose the top of the college football world and why the gap between uga and the rest of the country has been as substantial as it has been all season long that's what george is playing for this upcoming saturday i believe and then kirby smart absolutely gets that because let's go back to the press conference kirby smart did last week he was he was asked about the fact that for whatever reason, and there's a lot of reasons for this we won't kind of get into right now, Georgia's pretty good as a TV product. Georgia seems to generate pretty high television ratings. If you look at the um, you know the top 10 most watched games of the recent years, almost you know every single year, Georgia represents a good number of those 
most watched games. Like I said before, there's a lot of reasons why that's potentially true. There may be no one reason that stands out among the rest, but but Georgia's games seem to coincide with pretty high TV ratings. A lot of folks tune in, and you have the big crowd you know, watching the Kentucky game this past week. You have the ESPN stuff there, the SEC Network. All that attention that I discussed that was uh, pretty prominent on the program the last time that UGA played you know, I thought Kirby Smart was asked a pretty good question about all that this past week at his press conference, the only one that he did, obviously, during the off week. But he was asked, hey, when all these people tune in, what is it that you want them to see about Georgia? When you have a chance to have a big television platform, what do you want to put on display for UGA? And what Smart said then, I think, is relevant going into this upcoming Saturday against Florida. Because 330 CBS, Jacksonville, the split crowd, the, the heart bridge, and all the cool stuff that goes along with the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. It is for Georgia another chance to show the world, the college football world anyway, exactly why it's number one and exactly what it plans on doing to stay there. So good stuff from Kirby Smart from last week that serves as a lead-in to the Florida coverage this week. Here's Kirby. Yeah, I want our players to represent our brand the right way. I think it's important how you play the game as much as what you do when you play. And our guys have usually reflected that with toughness and effort and uh, you know, the energy they play with, you know, our, our, our fans, our, our stadium is on display when we play at home in front of a, an audience like that. So, so much of uh, today's kids care about perception and uh, followers and uh, viewing and what, what kind of marketability do they have in the NIL world that we don't, we don't push it and sell it, but certainly these kids have an opportunity to come here and play in front of a lot of people create a, uh, a brand for themselves by how they play we just really gear it towards tough hard-nosed football and want our teams to represent that and uh, I think our team this year has really showed toughness resiliency all those traits that we talk about they've shown those and uh, it's critical to their success and our success that we continue to get better at those things I mean I love what Kirby Smart says there I don't think there's anything wrong with using that as a source of motivation hey a uh, big platform a big media you know level of attention on you what do you want to show by yourself we want to show folks how tough we are we want to show folks how hard nosed we are we want to show folks how willing to fight we are to keep what has been given to us the status as the number one team in the country we want to show that because on the other side on saturday florida itself has something to kind of fight for there as well now, it's not an SEC East title, and it's not a spot in the college football playoff. It's not the kind of things that we are typically used to seeing from Georgia, Florida. But for Dan Mullen, he's taking a lot of heat. Dan Mullen's taking a lot of criticism the last couple of weeks here. That didn't play on Saturday, but you go back and look at the two losses for the Gators before that. Uh, law and the, uh, really three if you want to count the Alabama game there, too. A lot of criticism. In a lot of ways, Dan Mullen's trying to fight right now to show that he's still the, the right guy to lead the Florida program. That he's the kind of coach that's capable of of riding the ship at Florida and providing a future that's better than the current present is. That in itself kind of formed its own level of motivation. You know, coaches being self-preservationist almost uh, by instinct, right? Their 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 ability to <laughs> to protect their job status. Well, that's what Dan Mullen's trying to do uh, this upcoming Saturday. And for Georgia, the level of motivation is even higher to protect its own status. Not when it comes to Kirby Smart's employment. That's unquestioned. But when it comes to Georgia's status as the number one team in the country, people can forget pretty quick. They can get enamored by what they see by Ohio State. They can get enamored by what they see with Caleb Williams now at Oklahoma. They may say Georgia's number one, but look at these new teams that seem to be starting to play well at the right time. You get more interested in those kinds of teams as you, as you go through the season. 
Saturday against Florida, and we're going to talk about this a lot this week. Saturday against Florida is a chance for Georgia to do some reminding. Reminding folks how it got to number one. Reminding folks what it plans to do to stay at number one. And showing folks what Georgia has in store for those lousy, stinking Gators coming up on Saturday. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And as I said before, uh, really happy to welcome you to our brand new studio here today. So much fun to be a part of that with all of you. And a huge thanks to everybody who tunes in. Old studio, new studio, everything else in between uh, on dognation.com, it's right at 945, the Dog Nation app. Also, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Twitch and all those great video platforms that uh, we're able to broadcast on. Of course, a lot of you listen on the podcast, you listen on the radio, and for you, the experience hopefully doesn't change at all. In fact, it's probably better this week than it was last week when we weren't in a studio to speak of whatsoever. We were just at my house. But uh, nonetheless, we're just really, really thankful that all of you tune in and are part of everything that we're doing here and a uh, big, big thanks there for all that. Also, a big thanks for our friends at Palo Endo and Door uh, of Georgia there as well, because we would not be able to grow as a show, as an entity, as a website, dognation.com, if it wasn't for the support of our great sponsors who allow us to be in this great studio and allow us to have all these platforms to reach you each and every day. Big thanks to Pella for all of that. And a reminder that Pella Window and Door of George can help equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors there as well. And listen, that's important for a couple of reasons. Make your home feel better on the inside. It's been a little bit cool at night lately. So if you're turning that heat on, you don't want that escaping out the crevices of your windows and doors. You want it to stay inside where it's supposed to be. Also can make your home look better on the outside, and that's potentially a impact on your resale value too. So that's one of the things that Pella Window and Door of Georgia can do for you. Uh, really good stuff all the way around. Also, they can give you great savings there too because between now and October 28th, and that date is coming up here very, very soon, but for now you can get 40% off qualifying installations or 0% interest if you pay for your project in full within 12 months with regular payments. That is what Pella Window and Door of Georgia can do for you. They offer some of the best uh, lifetime warranties and unparalleled expertise. Pella Window and Door of Georgia can take care of you on all of that. So a couple ways to get in touch. First of all, go to the website. It's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call. 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Just make sure to tell them I, B-A, from Dog Nation Daily said they would take good care of you because because I know that they will. So great to have Pella Window and Door of Georgia with us as a part of Dog Nation Daily here today. Also, John Stinchcomb coming up here in a couple of minutes' time. John knows the importance of Georgia, Florida. He knows what's at stake in a rivalry game like this. And we will talk to John Stinchcomb about that on our very show here today. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And around the doghouse is assisted today by our friends at AAA. And Listen, I have to confess something here for a moment. One of the things I feel like I'm typically pretty good at is I kind of know what Georgia fans are going to think about certain things. You know, when I see something pop up, I'm not usually very surprised by the reaction I get from Georgia fans about this. That's not something that typically surprises me all that much. However, I was a little bit surprised by a few of the reactions I got to something that I dropped over the weekend. So I thought it was really cool that BetUS, a uh, uh, online sports book that uh, obviously we've talked to you about here now for a while. BetUS obviously paying close attention to our conversation about Jordan Davis and the way we've kind of helped lead the way to get the the, the Heisman campaign going for uh, Jordan Davis here a little bit. 
And I thought it was really cool that BetUS, in response to all that, has now posted Heisman odds for Jordan Davis. In fact, let me show you my tweet. This is self-serving to put my own tweet on the screen. But uh, I, I, I tweeted this out. I guess this was Friday. I said, important hashtag JD to NYC update. BetUS has now posted odds on Jordan Davis to win the 2021 Heisman Trophy. And I said, how fun is this? And to me, that really is really fun. I, I mean, when you think about how rarely – a defensive player even being in the Heisman discussion is. And when you think about specifically an interior defensive lineman, the fact that we're even having this conversation at all, such a rarity in comparison to the to the recent history of college football, the long-term history of college football, that the fact that this conversation is even ongoing right now at all, I find to be pretty remarkable. However, some of you looked at the odds, you're like, I think Davis is what, 100 to 1 right now, if I'm remembering correctly. And some of you were like, how can he only be 100 to 1? And, and some of you felt like his odds his, should be a little shorter than they were. <laughs> you felt like, listen, he should be one of the three or four top people right now. But let me just say this in response to all that. We can't lose sight of how difficult a discussion this is. And we can't lose sight of the fact that if you give the the prevailing voices who vote on this kind of stuff and who kind of set the opinions that that influence the Heisman voters. If we give them a chance to, they'll just gravitate back towards C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback, and Matt Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback, and Caleb Williams, the new thing in Oklahoma, or, you know, uh, Bryce Young in Alabama, and that'll just be it, right? That, that if you give them a chance to, they will revert back to normalcy, and they'll just kind of toss out these Heisman finalist invitations to the same typical crop of usual suspects that you're used to seeing in all of this so i think we have to remain steadfast if if we really do believe that jordan davis deserves to be honored and we do by the way if we do re- truly believe that davis deserves to be honored for what he's done for georgia and the way that which which he represents the defense overall then you got to be steadfast in this you've got to you've got to keep the pedal to the metal in terms of amplifying that voice that's why we want the consistent hashtag hashtag jd number two nyc jd to nyc because we want to keep that conversation going and we are going to celebrate all the ways in which this takes hold in the media because this is not an easy thing to get going the fact that davis is even being mentioned in the heisman discussion right now is a gigantic win and as he continues to play well and as georgia continues to to do what it's doing on the field there too the conversation has a chance to evolve even further from here but to know that we are in this spot where we are going into the last saturday in october that in itself is a remarkable accomplishment let me kind of uh, sum all this up here a little bit with some of the stuff that's out there and listen i don't get a chance to watch everything i'm obviously in the studio a lot i try to keep up with it all but a lot of you are, are, are good enough to share things with me that you see a lot of you shared the Paul Feinbaum comment from Get Up recently, and I played like a a fairly bootleg version of this on Dog Nature Daily last week, where I kind of put my phone up to my uh, my plugged in microphone here. Here is not it's not perfect audio, but it's slightly better audio of Feinbaum from Get Up, kind of making a very very similar case what we've made here as a representation for all the Georgia defense. That's why Davis deserves to be honored as the Heisman Trophy winner. This is Feinbaum from ESPN. Believe it or not, they stopped talking LeBron James for five seconds so Paul Feinbaum could say this. Jordan Davis, uh, who is he? He's the, uh, he's, the, he's, the, he's the head of the of the best defensive line I've ever seen at, at the University of Georgia. Would he win it? Probably not. Is, is he the best? He's the best player. He represents that defensive line, and I think he deserves a lot of consideration, Greeny, because uh, it's long overdue. 
So listen, that's exactly what you want to hear said, that he represents the entirety of the Georgia defense. That it's not that he's head and shoulders the best player, but he is unquestionably the representation of what's the best about the Georgia defense. It's team first mentality and what he does to help create success for other players there. And the way that Feinbaum says that, not only is it cool that he mentions Davis, but it's also cool that I think that, that, that Feinbaum articulates the appropriate argument for Jordan Davis, which I think is a uh, really good thing. Beyond that, and some of y'all shared this with me on Saturday as well, uh, on ESPN College Game Day. Now listen, when it comes to television real estate, it doesn't get any bigger than this. ESPN College Game Day, uh, kind of a side set, Reese Davis sitting in one of the tall chairs, talking to the other uh, other guys there on the show. Heisman Trophy conversation comes up. Now once again, this audio is pretty faint because some of y'all just like ran right to the TV and put your phone up to the to the TV just to record it as best you possibly could. But as a piece of evidence, <laughs> you know, submitted it for, um, you know, for uh, discovery here, I, I think it's pretty appropriate that once again, big voice, Reese Davis on ESPN College Game Day, big piece of television real estate. They're also talking about the possibility of Jordan Davis winning the Heisman. This is a real success story for JD and UGA right now. Take a listen. But if I had to cast my vote right now, I would put at the top of the list Jordan Davis. That's why I moved from Georgia. That's who, that's who I would vote He's for. He's been the most dominant like player. I'd put Jalen Carter from, uh, from Georgia. <laughs> 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 right, I got Devontae Wyatt. <laughs> So listen, obviously you hear uh, what Pollock and Herb Street there kind of saying, well, what about these other you know defensive linemen for Georgia already having great years? As I said before, it, it's not the contention here that Davis is clearly the best player on this defense. The contention here is that he may be the most dominant player in the country, and his level of domination creates other opportunities for success for the other Georgia players. The word we keep using over and over again is he is an avatar. He is not the standalone superstar. He is simply an avatar for what the entirety of this Georgia defense does well. But the bottom line and kind of the conclusion of the discussion is, is don't lament the fact that it's still a long shot. This is a defensive tackle trying to win the Heisman Trophy. Just say that out loud. That's amazing. That's unheard of. The fact that the conversation's even taking place is in and of itself something of a miracle. And the fact there's a lot more that has to be done to move Davis up the ranks. Listen, Georgia fans have proven they're good enough to get this conversation started. And I would say they're also good enough to take it to the next level from here after uh, all is said and done. That is Around the Doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And listen, when I'm traveling a lot, and obviously this weekend I'll be traveling a lot more, big high school game on Friday night, cannot wait to do Mill Creek and Collins Hill. And then getting on the road and going to Jacksonville after that, if something happens while I'm traveling, obviously AAA and its legendary roadside assistance is a very important thing for me. And I'll be traveling with Jeff Sintel there too. Uh, you know the two of us are not going to change a tire on the side of the road or anything like that, which is probably not capable of doing that. AAA obviously is, and that's why we trust uh, AAA and its legendary roadside assistance. But that's not the only thing I want you to know about AAA. AAA, also the ones you turn to for auto insurance there as well. Because, listen, right now, and my wife and I, we were talking about this last night, everything's just so much more expensive, right? Anything we can do to put more money in our pocket has a big impact on our bottom line because a lot of the things that we're doing right now have just been made a lot more expensive. So let me give you a thing that you can do that can put more money back in your pocket, which really matters in this age we're currently living. When you switch and save your auto insurance with AAA, you can save on average $529. Now, what could you do with $529? Well, I know for me, $529 make a big difference in my ability to just kind of make ends meet during a month and feel like I'm 
kind of kind of sailing through the month without having to worry about having less than I started with because, as I said before, a lot of things that we're doing right now are, are just more expensive than they once were. So let me give you a way to kind of help your bottom line. Switch and save your auto insurance with AAA, and on average you can save $529. That is good savings from our friends at AAA. And if you're ready to take advantage of that and to switch and save today, try that today, aaa.com slash auto insurance. That's aaa.com slash auto insurance. You can switch and save here with AAA. All right. It's Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia today. Now, let me tell you what's coming up. Before we're done, Kirby Smart said something very interesting last week with the Georgia-Florida game that actually doesn't have much to do with the game on the field, but the game in the city where it's located, Jacksonville, a little bit of a controversial topic for some UGA fans. So we'll talk about what Kirby Smart said about that before we're done today. We'll also look at some of the other big games from the weekend. A lot of Georgia fans were able to kind of kick back and relax and uh, not have to worry about their team for a Saturday. They watched some of the other uh, teams play, and so that leads, leads to a pretty interesting discussion. We'll do that with you before we're done. But for now, on everything around UGA, getting ready for Florida and trying to remind folks why it's the number one team in the country and so much more, let's get ready to talk to John Stinchcomb, the former Georgia All-American, as a part of a classic city logger insider update here today on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to uh, John Stinchcomb. Always fun to talk Georgia football with uh, John and obviously getting ready for Georgia-Florida on Saturday. There's very few games will ever be bigger to talk about than this one is. So all that's going to be really good here with uh, John. And I guess I should also mention this, John. You are a lifelong resident of the Atlanta area, much like I am, and I am sure you were just as happy as I was on uh, Saturday night to not be watching Georgia football, but be celebrating the Atlanta Braves winning the National League and moving on to the World Series for the first time since 1999. We'll get back to football, obviously, here, but I'm sure you were having as much fun with that as I was. I'm pumped. I couldn't be uh, prouder of the Braves. They've overcome such adversity this year and uh, pulled it through in Game 6. I don't think... Georgia uh, folks across the state of Georgia and all Braves fans could take a game seven, the anxiety that that would bring. So I appreciate them closing out in game six and let us uh, enjoy the weekend even more because of their victory. Well, here's the thing. I mean, obviously you can kind of tie these two things together a little bit because I think there is this belief because, I mean, the Braves have had some obviously heartbreaking moments. Falcons fans probably had the worst of all. Georgia fans have had no shortage of that kind of stuff too there's this thought that at some point in time the other shoe is going to drop and yeah you get the 3-1 lead and that reminds what happened a year ago but you get to game seven and you you end up losing the series Georgia fans have their own version of that as I said before Falcons fans have the most infamous version of all but you know things like Saturday night do serve as a reminder that no the 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 luck of good you know the door of good fortune the door of luck that door can swing both ways yes you have some bad luck you have some misfortune you have some some disappointing moments but if you love long enough you can also see some happy times there as well and so I think what Atlanta did on Saturday night can also be a precursor for what Georgia is going to be trying to do the rest of the way here that this season can be different than the last couple may have been for the dogs Oh, well, I'm not a superstitious guy. Sure. So uh, for all those fans who, who don't want to talk about, you know, the lifting the curse on Georgia sports this year and the, the possibility of not only the Braves entering the World Series, but the Georgia Bulldogs pulling out a national championship and uh, even could it be possible in the same year, I think this is a great opportunity for both. I think Georgia situated itself 
uh, as as the top team in college football, and there's really uh, there's a, a gap between the, the top team and, and everyone else this year in college sports. And then the Braves are, are sitting, you know, what, four games away from being world champs. So great opportunity for both, and I, I think it's exciting for the fans across our state to experience the high level of, of performance at both levels. And, you know, quite honestly, I, I think – it's long overdue, and I'm excited to, to welcome in this new era of uh, sports dominance for our for our state. No, I think you're absolutely right about that, and I love the way that you say that there. And as you turn your attention to Georgia, Florida on Saturday, so many interesting things to kind of you know break down around this game. And obviously, as I said to our audience before you joined us, it's really a chance for folks to remind the Georgia to remind the country why this team was ranked number one to begin with, right? You don't see them play for a couple of weeks. You kind of forget all of that. People fall in love with new teams or new players. And the conversation changes pretty quickly because there's an incentive to get interested in something new because the audience in and of itself gets bored pretty quickly sometimes, it seems. Well, you know, it's a chance for Georgia on Saturday to kind of revert back here and say, yeah, we had the spotlight on us for the months of September and October for a good reason because we truly are the best team in the country. And for me on Saturday, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Hated rival against Florida. You want to make their bad times get worse, but you also want to remind folks of, hey, this is why we were ranked number one to begin with. Well, I think it's an opportunity for Georgia to continue to show the gap that exists between everyone else. I mean, you look at uh, Oklahoma's squeaker over the weekend, and, and Cincinnati wasn't dominant, and really across the, the top ten, every team has shown weakness. So um, for, for the nation, I think we're all wanting to see is Georgia that dominant program this year that hasn't shown the vulnerabilities that everyone else across this country has exhibited at one time or another, uh, that Georgia has had, uh, you know, the extreme good fortune that they've created, mind you, uh, to not show the weaknesses that some of the quote-unquote best teams across, across this country have exhibited already this season. Yeah, I think it's exactly right. Obviously, one of the things that's gotten a lot of attention related to Georgia moving into Florida, something that Kirby Smart talked about in an ESPN.com interview late last week was the idea that for now the plan is to play both JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett, I guess at least some. Smart doesn't really go into much detail beyond just the fact they're going to both play right now and that certain game plans might dictate one over the other. To me, that's a pretty interesting thing to say when Smart didn't have to, right? It's not like he was asked that question at a press conference and just gave the answer. It's an interview with ESPN.com that you know wouldn't have really existed unless Smart wanted it to, and it seems like for whatever reason, Smart wanted to get that message out. What do you make of the fact that you know Smart is, at least to a degree, kind of tipping his hand here about what he plans on doing with quarterbacks? Oh, well, I think it puts... Uh, more pressure on Florida's defense to prepare for a variety of possibilities. I think there's some strategy in that uh, statement that that Florida is now going, all right, well, what do we need to think of differently when JT's in the game or when Stetson's in the game? And uh, nobody knows exactly what that rotation looks like other than, you know, probably the quarterbacks, the head coach, and the offensive coordinator, offensive staff, uh, and then they might not even be certain of it at this point in the week. So um, yeah, I think it just gives more challenges to that Florida defense as to what they have to prepare for. And, um, you know, it gives Georgia the flexibility to say, 
with both guys healthy, with both guys able, um, it's just an, another way of attacking a defense, which you know every offensive team wants to do. They want to have that variability and viability of all your options and weapons available. And uh, a healthy JT Daniels certainly brings another wrinkle to this offense. One of the things that I like about Kirby Smart, when you think about a game like Florida, is as an alumnus of this program and as somebody that just kind of has kind of a fiery competitive spirit, John, I've always gotten the sense that Kirby Smart really likes to beat his rivals. That that it's more I mean, obviously when Smart's asked questions, he's gonna say, Well, all rivalry games, you know, SEC, everything's a rivalry. Georgia's got a lot of rivalries. You know, Smart has kind of a politically correct way of talking about this in press conferences, but actions speak louder than words, and Smart's lack Smart's actions here pretty clearly indicate that whether it's when it's an Auburn or a, or a Florida, even a Georgia Tech at the end of the season, that Smart seems to really care about these games. And it's someone like myself who you know, cares about the games too, having a coach who behaves that way, I, I think is a really good thing. And it certainly makes the, 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 the rivalries more fun. As someone yourself who also has great care about these rivalry games, the fact that Smart seems to echo that with the way that he coaches in them, what does that mean to you personally? I love it. I, I, I think fans love it, too, because we've got the uh, the history and the connection with these programs and understand the relevance of these rivalries. And sometimes that gets lost when um, it's, it's the program's watered down. Yeah, I don't know if that's the right word, but you bring in outside folks that uh, may not know the, the, the true bad blood, if you will, between these programs and um, it might not mean as much to him. And Kirby, having played it and experienced it, and he's not alone in the staff. I'm mean, Coach Muschamp as well. Even though at one time he wore the, uh, the hated orange and blue of the Florida Gators, uh, at least he knows the history of and relevance of, of this type of ri- rivalry. So I love the passion that it brings, and it, it speaks to the players. It speaks to the fans that um, – you know, anytime you get a chance to, to beat a team in orange, you take advantage of it, and uh, you do so with style and a panache that uh, comes only when, when you're playing your rival. I want to ask you about this game in Jacksonville in a moment. Before that, though, you know, we talked about, hey, the mystery of will it be Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels for Georgia. There's a degree of that going on with Florida there, too, between Anthony Richardson, who's probably the better option in my mind right now, or Emory Jones, but also for a Florida team that – you know, doesn't really have the SEC East to play for anymore. They're in the midst of what is, by preseason expectations, a pretty disappointing season. Gators have already lost three times. What do you expect to see from Florida going into Saturday? Well, I think they have to go with the hot hand. I think that Emory Jones just doesn't provide that same spark that I'm sure Coach Mullen was hoping for at the beginning of the season. And they have plenty to play for this week. You just spoke about the importance of a rivalry and a rivalry game well uh, can you imagine the lip service that all georgia fans and, and this entire georgia program will receive from every gator if you know that this is not their best team they fielded in, in a number of years and yet they still play spoiler this weekend so you know you're going to get a highly motivated florida team that really doesn't have much to lose and can put all their cards on the table this week and I expect them to come out throwing haymakers, which, you know, in Georgia, that's what they expect every week, so it's no, not much different than uh, than what they've expected and experienced the, the first half of the season. 
No, I think that's exactly right. We got more with John Stinchcomb coming up. It's our classic city logger insider update with John here today. And of course, as you're heading towards the weekend, as you're heading towards this week, obviously you got baseball during the week, you got football on the weekends. This is a great time to be a sports fan. The month of October has always been my favorite month as a sports fan. As you're doing all of this, uh, nothing goes better with it than classic city lager because it's just good cold beer. I'm a simple guy. I like simple things. And that's what classic city lager is. Now, of course, it's a craft style lager because it comes from our friends at Creature Comforts Brewing Company. That means great care is taken to make sure it tastes great. And it does. Uh, I can promise you that. But it's a lager style beer. It's a it's a lighter style beer. It's actually a really interesting thing to see uh, pursued from a craft beer standpoint because it's the kind of thing that you maybe wouldn't expect to see a uh, craft brewery doing. But uh, Creature Comforts Brewing Company does it in such a great way and so much of our audience has tried it enjoys it and has a great time with it but if you haven't done that yet then let me invite you to go check it out whatever you do your shopping for your groceries six and 12 pack cans you can find creature comforts uh, classic city lager all year long and a lot of you just uh it's regular part of your uh, sports experience anyway or you're sitting on the back porch experience back patio it's a wonderful time of year to be outside and when you're sitting around with neighbors or friends or family or whatever else classic city lager goes great with that too classic city lager is just good cold beer so make sure you check out some today obviously a lot of beer gets consumed at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party each and every year unofficial nickname of course but um John, when it comes to the future of this game in Jacksonville, Kirby Smart's made it pretty clear again this past week that his preference would be to not play the game there, and yet it's also been made pretty clear that Smart's opinion alone is not going to be enough to get this changed. You're a guy that you know is a pretty substantial stakeholder in the situation there at the University of Georgia. What do you make of Georgia, Florida, and Jacksonville, and what do you think the history of this game should be, or I should say the future of this game should be? Well, I let's all recognize and acknowledge that coach smarts vote carries a lot more weight than mine ever sure. will. But, uh, I, I like the idea of, uh, playing in Jacksonville. I know all the uh, cons of leaving a game in Florida where they're on a bus and we fly in and it's in their state and all the revenue goes there and it's one less recruiting opportunity. I get it. I get it. I understand that argument. But I think there's something special about the Georgia-Florida game being played in Jacksonville. I like the history of it. I understand that everything across college sports seems to be changing at a rapid pace, and this may fall right in line with everything else. But I think it sets it apart. I think there's a reason why um, this game has been special, not only for Georgia and Florida fans, but across the conference and really across the country. Everyone knows about um, the cocktail party that's going on in Jacksonville, and usually it, it plays for a great now. You know, granted, I was on one of the teams that for four years we lost every year, and you know, probably ready to shake it up a little bit. But I, I like the fact that it's it's set apart, it's different, um, and it it creates a unique environment. I understand all the cons, but I'm still a fan of playing Georgia-Florida right there in Jacksonville. Yeah, John, I'm glad to hear you say that because I feel very much the same way. And frankly, I'm glad to hear from you on all the topics related to uh, Georgia and Florida and what's going to come up on Saturday. So we certainly appreciate your time here as part of our Classic City Logger Insider Update. Hope you uh, enjoy the week and enjoy some uh, Braves baseball here during the week leading into to Saturday with Georgia and Florida. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. 
Oh, well, next time I look forward to talking to you after, after uh, Georgia putting a whipping on these Gators. Well, the I weekend. like that. So, I, I like that, John. Uh, that sounds like a plan. And at that time, hopefully the Braves are ha- have a good stranglehold on the World Series, too. We'll be having a, a great week as, as fans across the state. It's going to be a fun week for sure, John. We'll look forward to uh, recapping it with you next time. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Boy, really good stuff with John Stinchcomb. Great insight on Georgia and Florida. And obviously, John's like the rest of us, at least those of us who live in the Atlanta area, are really, really excited about the Braves. So many Georgia fans are big Braves fans there, too. And this is quite a time to be enjoying the the Braves, enjoying the dogs. I, I did see this. I guess the, the Florida Gators Reddit page has this thing where, in I think what the – the Braves have been the World Series six times or something like that, and Florida fans are saying that Florida's beaten Georgia in all six of those years. Uh, so, I don't know. Do with that what you will. Uh, but uh, that's not that's not dampening my enthusiasm because I don't think Florida's got a chance on uh, Saturday, and I'm feeling pretty good about the Braves right now too. But that's obviously a different conversation for a different day. For now, the discussion is about Cruz running the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. And listen, this past weekend was a uh, great off weekend for me. Uh, and for a lot of you, you know, that off weekend also means some travel there, too. So when you're thinking about traveling, uh, obviously, the thing I want you to think about right now, my friends at Royal Caribbean, because there's no better time than to get on the seas on a Royal Caribbean ship. They are back on the seas again, which that in itself is really good news all the way around and a uh, great chance for you to be able to check that out. And one of the great things you can do is the private island oasis uh, for Royal Caribbean known as Perfect Day Coco Cay. This is a great chance to experience all of uh, that. It's, there's a there's a thrill side. There's a chill side. There is so much to do when it comes to uh, Royal Caribbean. So make sure you check that out today. You can enjoy the tallest water slide in North America, the largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas, uh, the 450-foot helium balloon that takes you right up in the uh, air and gives you a beautiful panoramic view of the of the waters there around that private island right there in the Bahamas. It's all incredible stuff. And if you've not taken a Royal Caribbean cruise, this is the time to do it. Or if you're ready to take one again, no better time than to go ahead and book your travels. We head through the fall and it's 2022 than right now. And, of course, you want experts to help you get that travel booked. That's why we recommend our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority for all of that. And let me give you a couple of ways to go in terms of finding out how to get in touch with the Cruise and Vacation Authority. First of all, you can check them out on their website. That's tcava.com. That's tcava.com. That'll get you in touch with the Cruise and Vacation Authority. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. That'll get you in touch with the Cruise and uh, Vacation Authority. All right, so let's uh, roll through some of the big moments from the weekend. Uh, a lot of Georgia fans got a chance to kind of kick back and watch some college football, and that was a uh, fun thing to be able to do without having to worry about what George was doing on a particular Saturday Talked a little earlier about you know Ohio State you know dominates uh, Indiana there and all of a sudden you get some uh, get some attention for that and people are kind of feeling good about the uh, the Buckeyes again. Caleb Williams starts to get a little bit of hype now that he stepped in as the starting quarterback for Oklahoma. How about some other games? Let's do SEC first. Ole Miss beats up on LSU. That in itself not really a surprise, although LSU was strong in its last time out against Florida. But the Rebels are really putting together a pretty good season under Lane Kiffin right now. So good, in fact, that. You couldn't help but notice the chatter around the game on Saturday was, well, maybe Lane Kiffin's actually the next coach at LSU. Now, this is always going to be a problem for Ole Miss, right? I mean, Kiffin does very little 
to dampen any of this conversation, right? He all openly flirts with these other big SEC jobs. You know, talking about you know Tennessee all the time. You know, uh, if there's a chance to kind of turn you know this down when it comes to I'm talking about the the the, the volume on the conversation around LSU. Kiffin's just not one that's very likely to do that very much. Uh, but it's interesting to see that chatter coming into this game on Saturday as you're left to wonder, well, who will be Ed Orgeron's replacement there at LSU? More belief of, well, maybe the right guy is the guy who beat up on LSU this past Saturday. It would obviously seemingly get LSU back where it wants to be, which is involved in the Arch Manning recruitment for the class of 2023. And speaking of Manning, it was interesting to see <laughs> he was at the Ole Miss game on Saturday. And they also, I guess as luck would have it, coincidentally, it was the retirement ceremony for uh, Arch's uncle, Eli, who obviously won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants and had great success with the Ole Miss quarterback, and they retired his ju- uh, number. They also painted Manning in both the end zones, which, I mean, you know why they're doing it, but you also know the unspoken reason why they're doing it. We've seen uh, you know, we've seen programs do everything they can to attract recruits, but to see the last name of a big-time five-star quarterback painted in both end zones was that was really quite a quite an image to see, even if there was a specific reason that took place. You couldn't help but understand the extra context for all of that. So pretty interesting stuff in Oxford on Saturday. I thought Alabama-Tennessee was a very interesting game this past weekend. And look, Tennessee hung with Alabama for a while, and then Alabama pulled away late after that. And listen, I don't mind telling you, right now, even though, even though Tennessee lost this past week, Right now, I feel pretty wrong about some of the stuff that I said about Josh Heupel before the season began. Now, listen, I, I, I changed my mind slowly. I'm not ready to say, well, gosh, maybe Josh Heupel really is going to build a good program there at Tennessee. I'm not ready to say that far from it. But I had Tennessee before the year began as one of the worst teams in the SEC. And right now, they're clearly not that. Right now, Tennessee is clearly a pretty tough out to the point where Alabama had to play for nearly the full 60 minutes to feel like they could put this game away this past week. One of the things that Tennessee does – they play very fast offensively. Heupel's offense probably plays faster than just about any team in the country. And beyond that, when you think about everything that Tennessee lost defensively in the transfer portal, so much taken away from that program, and yet they're actually playing, and it seems crazy to say in a day where they gave up 50 points, but they're actually playing better defensively for the most part this year than your you would have had any right to ever expect them to play. That's just that they're just playing better than you assumed they probably would. So it's one of those things where Tennessee didn't win. The game wasn't particularly close. Tennessee was more than a 25-point underdog. They didn't even cover. But I actually came away from that game on Saturday thinking, wow, you know, Tennessee really has, for the most part this season, maintained a fairly consistent level of play that has made them better than I thought they probably would be. I think Alabama's also seemingly figuring some stuff out because they were able to pull away from this game. But I couldn't help but notice that about Tennessee. I'll also say this in regards to uh, Texas A&M for a moment. They dominated South Carolina. The game could have been even worse than it was. Uh, You know, huge, huge domination there in the first half. Pretty quietly here, they've kind of figured some things out around Zach Calzada here for a moment. A&M was getting a lot of grief and, you know, a lot of folks felt like it was a lost season. They were one of the most uh, disappointing teams in the country. Then, lo and behold, they beat Alabama, and they really responded to that Alabama win with a couple of easy wins against lesser competition after that. So a lot of reason to feel pretty good about what the Aggies are doing here for the moment. A couple of games outside the SEC worth your attention. Obviously, the Penn State-Illinois game was a total travesty in terms 
of the way the new overtime rule impacts all that. They go nine overtimes. And listen, I wasn't a fan of this to begin with. I'm not a Johnny come lately on this subject that this is the wrong way to decide games at the end that if you care about player safety, the idea you're going to run two-point conversions over and over and over again is in itself not all that you know safe. Now, there was a less than 1% chance that given these two-point conversions repeating themselves that you're going to go nine overtime. So this is a little bit of a statistical anomaly. But the same thing, at the same time, when you see the same kind of play being replicated, but the two-point conversion style plays, I mean, that that's really no better than the way that these soccer matches get decided on penalty kicks after you're playing, you know, 90 minutes up and down the up and down the pitch, I guess they call it, you know, with all of the facets of soccer being involved, and you kind of whittle it down to just penalty kicks at the end. I've always felt like that was a pretty poor way to decide a soccer match, although I don't really care that much about soccer, but if I did, to me that'd be, you know, kind of a bad way to do that. And I feel the same way about this kind of two-point conversion fest at the end of these games. They should have never changed the rule, I believe, because there really aren't that many marathon overtime games anyway. There are just a couple. It was an overreaction on the part of a rules committee to justify their existence on a committee, I guess. But it's also kind of a bad weekend for the uh, Big Ten, knowing that, you know, in the weeks to come, you've got this cool round robin supposed to take place in the Big Ten East between Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Penn State, and Ohio State, that the eyes of the college football world in a lot of ways were going to be on the Big Ten, yet Penn State loses to uh, a pretty, you know, mediocre Illinois team. Michigan was not exactly making it look easy against Northwestern. And all of a sudden, some of the sizzle around some of these Big Ten games that are upcoming actually seems a little reduced now because Penn State lost. Oklahoma State's also no longer undefeated. Uh, they lost to Iowa State. Iowa State was the favorite there. But when, nonetheless, they did. And I hope you're ready for this. There's a very good chance that we have an ACC championship game that has the possibility of featuring an undefeated Wake Forest team facing an 11-1 and pit team. And then we'll have to have the conversation of, does the winner of that game deserve a spot in the, I can't even believe I'm going to say this out loud, the college football playoff. That we're not too far away from two fairly pretty records for teams that <laughs> I just don't quite know what to make. Uh, although uh, Pitt did uh, beat uh, uh, Clemson on Saturday and Wake Forest scored, this is not an easy thing to do, scored like 70 points. They scored 70, but their time of possession was only like 17 minutes. 17, 70 points in 17 minutes of time of possession. Uh, pretty wild stuff all the way around there. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC and for good measure the rest of college football, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. Let me also shout out my friends at the Finish Long Drink here for a moment because, listen, uh, as you are getting ready to uh, do all the things you got going on right now, why don't you try the Finish Long Drink if you haven't tried that before? Four different varieties. Uh, you get the blue can, which is the traditional, which includes the kind of the grapefruit flavor and the 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 gin uh, kick that goes along with that. You get long drink cranberry, uh, long drink strong, which is in the black can, eight and a half percent alcohol by volume, or the long drink zero. You can try all four of these varieties of the finished long drink. It tastes great. I tell you, uh, so many of the folks in my neighborhood have really, really come to love the finished long drink, and I think you'll love that there as well. It's a great story. It comes from Finland, the 1950s. It's here in the United States of America now, and it's here in Georgia there too. So you can try some uh, for yourself and enjoy it today. Go to thelongdrink.com and just plop in your uh, zip code, and you can find out where you can pick some up. Thelongdrink.com, put in your zip code, and you can find out where you can enjoy some uh, finished long drink here. Uh, And I would certainly think that you're going to enjoy that. All right, so we talked to John Stinchcomb about this a moment ago. 
and let's keep that conversation going with us right now of just kind of briefly here as we roll into the cocktail party week georgia and florida what the future of this game is supposed to be in jacksonville and will the game remain in jacksonville in there's still a few years left in the current contract there between the uh, two schools in the city but kirby smart the georgia coach has made no secret about the fact that he's not necessarily a fan of this game in this venue saying that this past week that he hasn't really thought about it much this week but i I, but certainly willing to articulate the reasons why it might be better on campus this is kirby smart on that topic i don't concern myself with things that i don't control um i all i'll ever say is that you know the home atmosphere we have is incredible and ability to bring recruits in um, is big and if I knew every year we would have home games like we've had this year it probably would be less of an issue but um, it's, 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 it's an issue when you're not allowed you, you don't have what might be your biggest rival and you don't have an opportunity to bring uh, official visits in and recruits in uh, every other year because you wouldn't have it every year anyway but it certainly is valuable in the time when kids are deciding in early signing date December and they're enrolling in January those are the most critical weekends you can have to get kids on campus. So I stand by the fact that, that uh, you know, we miss out on one of those opportunities every other year, and, and everybody else in the country doesn't. So I certainly respect Kirby Smart's opinion in all of this. And, I, you know, I guess what I would say in response to that is, is that his opinion, as John Sinchcombe said before, carries more weight than virtually anyone's. But Smart's opinion alone is not necessarily enough to, to change all of this for me just yet in other words you start winning some national championships you can move and cancel the cocktail party but until then i'm still pretty happy with where the game is but here would be my advice to georgia fans though that if you've enjoyed the cocktail party if you love going to st simon's if you love going to milia island or wherever it is that you like to stay maybe uh, on the other side of jacksonville down there in ponte Vedra or st st augustine somewhere like that my advice would be you might should enjoy it while you can because while i am still a a believer that this rivalry should remain here in Jacksonville. And I enjoy the, the, the fun of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. While that's still really special to me, given what smart is saying, given the fact that as John Sinchcombe pointed out before, there's changes occurring all over uh, college football. And, you know, we have to kind of brace ourselves for even more change year after year after year, given all of that, then this might be one of those things that you might want to be able to enjoy uh, while you can, because look, you saw, even last week, you know, there was the thing where like the city's going to pay out both Georgia and Florida something like four hundred thousand dollars because they don't want to put the extra seats in there. Which means that if they're willing to pay eight hundred grand to the two schools, that means putting those additional seats in the uh, stadium may cost them even more money than that. You know, it becomes a hassle. That this is what the future negotiations are about. This is going to be that both the University of Georgia and the University of Florida are going to kind of press the envelope to to get whatever concession they can from the city of Jacksonville to keep it there because it is very important to the city. It's a big, big uh, revenue generator for that you know Florida First Coast community. So the city of Jacksonville is going to try to do what it can to keep it there. And obviously, you know, given the mood around the University of Georgia, Georgia is going to keep upping its asking price for what it takes to to keep all that in play. So who knows what the future holds for a few more years anyway. It's likely to remain right where it is, right there uh, in the uh, stadium that used to be known as the Gator Bowl. But for those of us who would like to see that last even longer, I'm not quite so sure we'd get our wish on that uh, much into the very future. All right, so uh, first show from the new studio is in the books and a good time 
all the way around on that. Of course, some things for us never change. Of course, you see Eddie there on the wall. Uh, great to see that. You see the uh, golden shoe uh, there, too. So uh, we're really, really happy to have all of this in place for you. And, of course, uh, also happy to celebrate our golden shoe winner for today. And I love the combination here of two of our big things. Georgian, Florida, Jordan Davis, good stuff all the way around there on that. Decatur Dog says somebody's going to have a bad day on Saturday, and you see Davis tackling that uh, alligator there. We've got some great golden shoes coming up this week, and uh, that is certainly a good one there too. So really fun stuff. And hard to believe that when we start the Gator Hater Countdown at the beginning of the year and we're at, what, 364 days, you whittle down day after day after day, you finally get there. Just five days from now, we're all in Jacksonville celebrating a win against those lousy, stinking Gators. Can't wait for it. Thanks for being here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door.